0: This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 278.
1: We no longer had the resources to talk about how God can can move and speak in Scripture in multidimensional ways. So instead, when historical criticism says, you know, this much isn't true about the Bible, we know we know this part isn't true here, we know this doesn't stand up in history, we came back at it, the church came back at them with this kind of equal literalism but just in the opposite direction. The problem is is we are playing the game by their rules and we don't have to do that. It's, it's actually harmful because what it, what it ends up doing is creating this fixation or equation of faith in God with faith in the historical
2: literalism of the Bible. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world for five years. Good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny.
3: This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I'm here in the room with my good friend and podcast partner, Johnny Craig. Johnny, I think you... you're
0: you're stretching the definition of the word in and with, but that's okay.
3: We're fine. We're both in a room, we can both see each other. That's just fine. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. And I said to my wife tonight, I said, "Hey, Johnny's done 2 weeks on his own of podcast episodes. It's yes. been wonderful for me. I believe that it has
0: I decided I had to pull my own weight eventually, so here we are. Now, last week, you didn't even have to do the in and out. I mean, last week, I did the whole kit and caboodle. We lost, we
3: lost several dozen listeners last well, week. Well, it was worth it, though, for me to have the time off.
0: <laughs> let them go, we, let them go. You deserve a vacation, too. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot.
3: Well, we've got... A good friend of yours and mine, Duke Divinity grad, yes. Daniel Denbor, yes. And Daniel is one of these, uh, Dan- Daniel the Mind, Daniel yeah, the exactly. Mind Denbor, yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly right. He is a ton of fun for me to talk to because he has one of those, like if he reads a book, he remembers the book. So I've read a ton of books. I don't remember what's in these, books. you know what I'm saying? Like it's all written someplace in my brain somewhere, but I can't just like draw it out. Right. I'll be talking to Dan and say, Hey, I'm writing the sermon. I'm on this topic. I don't quite know where to go. And he'll seriously, he'll be like, go get out, uh, go get out Bonhoeffer discipleship and look at chapter four, probably two or three paragraphs in. And I think that that's going to help you out. And, it does, and yeah. it's just like, yeah. How Dan? How do you like work like this? I think everything he's
3: ever learned, he remembers and can access, like in, on in the fly. Augustine's Fifth Confession, exactly. he deals with that too. Yeah, That's right.
0: Exact. On this episode, you'll hear him. He's like, he, all of a sudden, he starts waxing poetic on Origin, and it's like, bro, I've never read Origin. Like, what are you talking what about? What is the I'm origin
3: like, of Origin? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so So it's it's, it's good uh, to have guys like this absolutely it's like you know and and Dan is Dan is a college professor right Mm -hmm. I mean he is Mm -hmm. teaching kids uh, in the undergrad uh, level yeah he's got that kind of a mind so really fun to talk to hey not often that you get a Duke Divinity grad just drop in at your church and then stick around for a few years right exactly right that was one of those I think I might have
0: told the story on the podcast but that was one of those moments that Just blows your mind when this new young couple walks in, right? So already you're like excited, right? Young couple walks in with a baby, you're like, dang, this is like primo. And then in conversation with this person, you find out, oh, he also graduated from Duke Divinity.
3: Like, oh, is that all? Okay, cool. Thanks for coming. Dan told me one time he doesn't necessarily agree with our ecclesiology but he loves the way we did church and the ecclesial life of the church.
0: Yes, that sounds like something Dan would say. I hope he's listening right now and can hear you repeat that, because he's nodding and saying, well, I
3: nuanced it a bit more than that when I said it, but that gets to the heart of it. No, you really didn't, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Johnny, let's get right into this episode. We're at episode 278, so we'll get right in here to you and Dan Denboer.
0: It is my pleasure to be on the line with my friend, Daniel Den Boer. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing
1: well. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Now, we talked a little this morning, and you, you got your grades in. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> yeah. I got them in uh, with a half hour to spare, which um, is not my record, but I've definitely cut it even closer than that. So that's that, that was pretty good.
0: What I love is that when I was a student, I felt so like – bad because i'd turn things in so close to the wire and i think oh man my professors must just think i'm just the worst now i realize the professors are the same way
1: yeah well i'd say at least half of us are yeah and and the best thing a student can do is figure out what which half of a professor they have in front of them
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good word that's pretty funny so dan uh tell us a little bit about yourselves we got some listeners here they don't know you like I know you, Dan. So yeah. tell us who you are and uh, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your family.
1: So I'm Daniel Den Boer. I, uh, I teach for a local college where I live um, in in their religion department, which is, um, well, we, we, we could just call it biblical studies and, and Christian theology, um, but, but okay. it's this holdover name of religion. Um, that's about... Um, that's about half of my appointment at the college. The other half of what I do here is direct a, a program that's funded by the Lilly Endowment, and it's uh, this program is is a youth theology institute. So its role is to is to impact uh, high school students to bring them into encounter with kind of uh, uh, experience that could produce for them uh, a sense of Christian vocation, a sense of what they want to do in their life, yeah, uh, and how that connects to to. God and their faith um, and how they can live out their career path or what they see as their purpose in life from that uh, space of faith. So um, together, that kind of makes up most of, most of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, I have a, a wonderful wife, Autumn. She's a middle school teacher um, at a nearby Christian school. And then we have two girls together, uh, a four-year-old. Harper and um, a 1-year-old uh, and her name is Scarlett. It's hard for me to believe that Harper
0: is now 4 years old. Isn't that nuts? It is nuts. Yeah. Like my son is 5. Like I yeah. know what a 4-year-old is. Yeah. That's crazy. I see when they're little like this, I left a year ago when they're little like this, a year is forever. I mean they're yeah. so different in a yeah. year. So
1: Well, and we I mean, cool. You and I connected when Harper was 1. Yes. Like we, I remember we would uh, we would start um, going to that that small group for that half a half a year we had it <laughs> in the basement of Dover and um, yeah we had we had some kiddos there already but but yeah all I mean every, they were all like three years younger than they are right now it's just nuts
0: that is it's crazy well Dan you and I are connected forever through our friendship but also because Scarlett is the first child oh, yeah, that I ever baptized your yeah. daughter got me your daughter is the one who knocked me out of my adult yeah. baptism world and into yeah. the reformed church where yeah. I find myself now oh my goodness yeah
1: see I didn't tell you this but that's that's principally why we had her is just so that I could uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you wouldn't say no to baptizing her so.
0: I could have. how could I say no to that what a beautiful yeah. opportunity
1: yeah oh man
0: it was beautiful well Dan you and I we sit down and we talk sometimes for a long time a long yeah, it can, time
1: it can go on for hours
0: and i thought man wouldn't the world be blessed to be a part of one of these oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh but basically every i've talked about you on the podcast not by mm-hmm. name but i've talked about how i have a sermon when i'm writing a sermon and i need a little bit of help i go mm-hmm. to my my theologian friend And oh, yeah. you're the theologian friend and i'm, it's I'm the not theologian a friend <laughs> that's right I feel like not a week of me preaching goes by where I don't call to uh, to get some insight, which I appreciate. But today, what I want to talk about is something that's in your wheelhouse as sure. a professor and as someone who works with the Living Your Faith students. Yeah. And that is this idea of Christian formation, Christian formation. Mm. And that's a huge topic, but talk to me a little bit about how you perceive People are being formed as Christ followers right now. What is the what is the situation as it exists now? If I say, "Hey, how are Christians being formed?" Uh, what would you yeah. say? How would you answer? And you can be mean. That's totally cool. <laughs> but how would you answer the question?
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's a big question, and, uh, and and of course, you know, I I always hesitate a little bit when just like looking out across a, like a whole <laughs> millions sure. and millions of people. But but my instinct tells me um, that we're we're as as Christians we form Christ followers not so much to be Christ followers but to be uh, followers of what is good followers of the hmm. Bible followers of um, God. And, and, okay, so all of these things are actually important to be a Christ follower, right? Yeah. But there's not actually um, any sense of distinction between those things. And so they get conflated together. Um, and the problem with that is that a, a ton of other things can begin to creep in that maybe, um, because we haven't figured out exactly what it means to follow Jesus Christ, that, that maybe are actually... Diverting us from what Christ would have us do.
0: Sure. So you're teaching uh, at a Christian college. Many of your students come in and are, are believers, right? They've grown up in the sure. church. Yep. Um, a lot of them have the grown up within, are, yep, yeah, within the evangelical traditions. But yep. you have folks from mainline traditions as well, yep. and and yep. from other backgrounds. You you're getting them into your class. Was it? Did you have to? How do I want to ask this? Your first year of teaching, did did you assume that they would know things and then you got in and found out, oh, goodness, they don't know these things?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still am making those mistakes. <laughs> okay. I, uh, um, absolutely. The, but but the thing that I usually tell my uh, students w- when we begin, because there's always a certain number, and, and actually what I had to learn, too, is... Is just stop assuming that everyone was Christian because usually I'll get a couple students who come up to me and say, Hey, i you know, nominally I'm Christian, but I didn't grow up. We didn't go to church. I didn't sure. grow up being a Christian. I'm really worried about how well I will do in this class. Mm. And what, what I tell those students in those situations, which I've actually found to be accurate. <laughs> I, I think the first time I just said it and uh, j- just as, you know, a promise, not knowing if it was true or not, but it is true, is that Christians and non-Christians are just as likely to succeed in my classes, because what I'm going to give you is going to be so different from what you're used to hearing in your church. Mm. And, uh, and it usually turns out to be true, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What kinds of assumptions do your Church-attending students come in with that you feel like you have to, in some way, deconstruct. Right. So, so that's getting to the question, right? Yeah. How are we forming people currently
1: yeah. <laughs> in the wrong ways? Right. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot of it has to do with. Well, it depends on the class. So I teach a couple different classes that that come through my rotation pretty often, and one is the introduction to um to to scripture. The other one's the introduction to Um, theology or historical theology and the introduction to scripture class. One of the first things we have to think about is how we are understanding what the Bible is. Um, And so Hmm. we get into questions involved in inerrancy and infallibility. How, how are we going to see what the Bible is? Um, Is it historically literal? Right. And there's a whole bunch of assumptions and, and frankly baggage that my, my church attending students have picked up over the years. And honestly, some of them are ready to to do away with it. Some of them, they can go through the whole class. And because it's something like, because I, I begin each class in prayer, they never yet quite see where I'm pushing them to, to be honest. And that's something I'm working on. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of one of the biggest things in that class. So I'm hearing you say that now and this is my
0: own bias coming into this, right? Um, but the church, in some sense, is turning us into bibliolaters.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a there's a confusion. I was just grading a paper yesterday where it, it was a biblical research exercise, and I was I was grading the worksheet for it. And the student, I can't remember if it was uh, what book of the Bible it was from, if it was New Testament or Old Testament, but the student was making an application to contemporary society that has something to do with, you know, um, we just need to listen to the Bible and sure. do what it says here. And it was just fascinating because he was making an application that completely contradicted what, what the point that the, that the author or the presumed author was making at that point. And so it's just really interesting to think about the fact that we are, we have a perspective on scripture that the original authors probably didn't even have <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, you know, the way I, the way that I talk about it is and, and don't get me wrong, I have a I have a ton of respect for the Bible. It's to me it's authoritative and it's authoritative in in multi-dimensional ways. Yeah. But I think we need to continue to remember that we're not biblians, we're Christians, right? And and the Bible <laughs> is authoritative as it points to Jesus Christ because that's who we worship.
0: Where, where are we picking this up? Where where are you know, where are we picking this up that the Bible is the authoritative voice as opposed to um, Jesus right. being the authoritative voice. And I know what people are saying right now as they listen. Well, Johnny, you cannot separate Jesus from the Bible. We only know about Jesus through the Bible. And I'm not attempting right. to do that. But what you're identifying is a, is a very what I would almost call a modernist reading of scripture and to say, well, this has to be, you know, literally historically, you know, poetry. What is poetry? What is allegory? Right. Right. Where is this coming from? Yeah. Because we have pastors listening right now whose students are going to leave their church with this idea, but the pastors maybe don't have that idea and aren't expressing the Bible in that way. Now I should say, I'm going to pull a Jeff. We do have listeners right now who are probably wondering what you and I are even talking about and <laughs> are going to turn in some heresy papers on us. Please yeah, yeah. don't do that uh, yeah. around because yeah. I think this is very important stuff. Right. I think there are students coming out of churches every day with some of these ideas and mm-hmm. I'm wondering where it's being picked up. Is it overt? Yeah. Is it, you know, is it in the water? What's going on?
1: Yeah, I think it's in the water. And, and one of the first things that I try to do when, um, when, when we go through this stuff in a class is, is talk about times when the church has thought differently about this. And so I always, in both my classes, I always teach origin and origins theory of scripture, um, which is that there's, there's three ways to read scripture. One is the sort of very simple, this is what happened. Here's the story. Sure. Um, then the next one is allegorical, which shows how this thing points to Jesus Christ, right? So sp- uh, if if you're reading the Old Testament, how this points to Jesus Christ, right? Or this is uh, you know, the the famous sort of allegory for Origin is the Song of Songs, which he has to he has to sort of allegorize because um, he's too offended by the sexuality in it. So he sure. <laughs> so he allegorizes it about you know Christ as the lover and, and, um, us or the church is the beloved. Right. And then he goes one step further and he does what, what's called an anagogical reading, which is, um, how God searches for us in this kind of loving way, right. Where, where God loves our soul would be the language he would use, um, in the same way that, that the song of songs expresses the love between the lover and the beloved. Right. All right, so we have this pattern of, of reading, and this, this gets taken up in the early church and in the medieval church, and it's formalized into what's called like a quadrilateral form of reading. So the, the point has always been reading these multiple ways, but something happens, happens about the time of the um, – it's after the Enlightenment, but it's, it's, um, it's definitely connected with the rise of evangelicalism in America – where we lose that multidimensionality, and what you lose in that multidimensionality is ways in which God can still be active, actively speaking through Scripture. Right? If you're reading it just literally the entire time, then you're only reading it in terms of its sort of historical dimension. But if you're if you are open to to more dimensions, there's ways in which God can say new things through Scripture, which which I find really helpful to think about so what what happens going back to the enlightenment is the enlightenment the rise of the scientific revolution there, there, there's this concern and and quest for certainty so philosophy and yes. science everything goes in this direction of determining exactly what we can know about anything and what we can know for sure so there becomes this obsession with with um in philosophy what's called epistemology which is the study of how we know things but this whole concern for for certainty gets gets kind of taken up in biblical study and we get this rise of what of what is known as historical criticism right so where we're actually okay if what matters is what we know for certain then what we're going to do is take apart these texts and the the archaeology surrounding them and the and the different sort of forms in them so we get form criticism different forms of of speaking right. that's going on in them and we're going to figure this stuff out to to the best of our ability and uh what what kind of coincides with with this approach to scripture is like uh us in in the european context for sure right, is a slight form of atheism right these are historical documents but they right. you know we don't really believe in in the resurrection right you can think of like Rudolf Boltmann and uh, demythologization here. We're going to take the myth out of the Bible. It's making good points. It's got good morality, but we're going to take the myth out, take out all the miracles. Those obviously didn't happen. And I think what happens in the American context is a a reaction against this stuff, right? But because um, we can't help but be but be who we are and subject to, you know, the environment we live in, we no longer had the resources to talk about how God can, can move and speak in Scripture in multidimensional ways. So instead, when historical criticism says, you know, this much isn't true about the Bible, we know we know this part isn't true here, we know this doesn't stand up in history, we came back at it, the church came back at them, with this kind of equal literalism, but just in the opposite direction. The problem is, is we're playing the game by their rules and we don't have to do that. It's, it's actually harmful because what it, what it ends up doing is creating this fixation or equation of faith in God with faith in the historical literalism of the Bible Whereas I don't think the original authors really operated with that mindset, a modernist mindset. Isn't that so ironic
0: that it's the same mindset that exists within the what you you know called the borderline atheistic, right, right historical criticism and the hyper conservative reaction to that. Right. But they're reading the same way. It's just that they're they're running yep. to different poles.
1: With yeah, the, it's it is
0: deeply ironic.
1: Yeah, right. As right, well right. as trouble, and the, and here's here's the problem. At the end of the day, this is this is the only reason why it, it you know it used to upset me for different reasons, but this is the only reason why it upsets me today. Is that I think Scripture works best. We were talking about this already when it points to Jesus Christ, right? Where 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 we see Jesus Christ as the fulcrum, as the as the hinge point of Scripture, yeah. but it doesn't do that very well if we're reading it flatly, right? right, Each single verse had the exact same um, authoritative weight as another verse. Now, I, I kind of have a complex view of this. I think each single verse has potential to be as authoritative as any other verse. But I think it's it's in as much as it points to Jesus Christ, does it actually become authoritative? So what that means is to maybe get out of that metaphor now is instead of reading scripture as you know a prairie as flat Mm -hmm. it's this mountain with foothills that go up and down and up and down and we start to understand this this natural progression towards the peak towards the the climax of scripture which is jesus christ if we if we read it flatly then then um jesus christ becomes a tool in the faith rather than the point of the faith. right?
0: You know, it's crazy because every one of us reduces some verses and elevates other verses. And yet, if yeah. pressed, many of us would claim that we do not know. It's all equal. It's all—we we, we right. pretend we live on a prairie, when in fact, right. we all live in what you're yeah. describing, the foothills and the mountains. And it's better to yep. just make peace with that and realize mm-hmm. that that's not— A bad thing. It's actually the way the church has been reading scripture forever.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then also um, you know, when someone invites us to visit them in their foothill, right? We can go without um you know, without an agenda. We can go and see, okay, let me see this now. What what are you seeing here? Right? It's so I I think it's it's and and not be threatened by that, right? But to see i wonder because because really what it is is from the foothills right we get we get different vantages upon the mountain upon jesus christ yes so i i want to know what that mountain looks like from your foothill Mm.
0: dan i i am having a blast i'm i want to check the temperature (laughs) of my listener here okay are you with us (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I. Yeah. We're not gonna. We're not slowing down. Um, but just for a second, no. I just want to say, hey, Pastor, you're listening. I hope that you're being challenged. I hope that you're being pushed a little bit. We don't expect you to, uh, line up with us on every issue or everything or whatever like that. But certainly, we do expect you to think about these things and t- take a critical look at the way you have approached formation which is the bigger conversation that we're in and uh, i'm about to turn us back to um but scripture in general so just taking the temperature it's all good we're still here (laughs) take a deep breath if jeff was here he would have a a witticism to throw in but he's not (laughs) forget him uh it's back okay we're coming back so dan all right yeah we have as far as i'm concerned we've illustrated the problem okay we live in a post-enlightenment modernistic milieu of certainty and of a flat plains, you know, reading of Scripture. And even if we as pastors are working in subtle ways against it, this reality Mm. is almost overpowering. So Mm. if that's the case and we are being formed more by the culture around us than by, you know, anything else, what's the way forward what is the way forward for churches in formation so that in 10 years you can have a group of students who
1: <laughs> aren't
0: aren't quite in the same situation does that make sense
1: yeah it does it's interesting i'm not used to thinking in in such large ways as if as <laughs> if we could leverage a solution that would change an entire culture <laughs> how about you tell
0: the 10 pastors that are still listening though no. <laughs> just in their yeah. context let's not let's yeah, yeah, yeah. let's let's make it oh. smaller right so you're talking yeah. to me i'm a pastor of a church i got you know 350 adults here on a sunday maybe and yeah. i got you know what do we have in our youth group you know 100 students we got 100 kids oh. in the kids program whatever so what can we? What can I do, Dan? What what can formation look like in yeah. this church in my context?
1: Yeah, and I'm trying to figure this out too. And I, in fact, I'm trying to leverage new programs through through my work with the institute here all the time that can address this. One of the things I'm I'm thinking about is, and and these are this is this is going to maybe go in different directions, but is how do we how do we get high school students? Is the context I'm working with right? to own their share of the of the life of the church. So I think that's that's a beginning point, but but really what what you and I are talking about is is something I'm just still trying to figure out how it could work in the church context, right? Cuz we have these certain we're used to thinking in certain ways, right? So, you know, we have the sermon, the vessel of the sermon, we have these other things. And in these ways, you know, I would have some some ready answers, I think but when you're talking about how can we how can we do this formation that makes sense of our cultural moment and how we are influenced by it in the life of the church more broadly i think that's that's that is tricky i don't have all the answers there for sure i think what has happened is so I grew up in a, in a tradition that, that did catechism. Okay. <laughs> so we would, we would uh, see the reform tradition. So we would study the Heidelberg catechism and you had to get through this process um, in order in, in your high school years um, in order to, uh, to sort of take your share of the life of the church. Um, but I like that word. I like the word catechesis because that's what the early church did. They, they would catechize teach, instruct, they those who are who are seeking to join the church in the faith for a lengthy period of time before they were baptized. Right. And I and I think we need to think about our catechism. I don't hate youth group. In fact I I, I like a lot of things about it, but I don't know if we're doing catechism in youth group. What I think has happened in in terms of my own context, the role of, of Christian colleges, what I see myself doing here is I don't think through this whole process this enlightenment reaction to the enlightenment process I think the church forgot how to do this so I see my role currently as doing catechism right but I see the work that I do as something the church should be doing
0: so where should it be happening should this be happening in small groups in youth group as you say I mean how does catechesis happen because i can stand up on a sunday morning and have read you know the commentaries and and read all this stuff and and i see the the issues the critical issues and i see the theological issues and then i stand up and i have 27 minutes to try to say something (laughs) you know interesting and helpful and i cut 95 percent of my study out yeah uh, which and is you a, should as i should absolutely as uh, you should <laughs> if, if you're listening and you're trying to bring up all of your studies stop please um yes. <laughs> it's not good so but where does it happen then because someone yeah. could listen to my sermons and not ever know that there's deeper issues they they might not ever know they might not ever learn through a sermon how to approach right. scripture how to approach the right. faith how to be a christ follower yeah where does it happen yeah the, ah, yeah Yeah, I'm making you be practical, Dan. You hate being practical. I I need practical.
1: You're getting you're getting me much more practical than I'm used to being. So (laughs) so let me get uh, theoretical with you for a second. Okay, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, we don't have to do all the heavy lifting ourselves, right? So Mm. so what faith means is that when this work happens, it's going to be the spirit's lifting. But I do think that is, is worthy of informing us on what's really going on. I think that there's going to be, there's going to be your critical thinkers in church who are in the sermon, who are paying attention, who are being impacted by it. And, and that's good. And that should continue. But then I think there are ways in which connecting real faith with our life impacts us in such a way that also influences the people around us. So I, I wanna find yeah. ways for this to be multilateral. Well for instance, if I have real faith, right, I mean real faith, right? Like if I am if I continue to be conscious of the fact that if God cannot be found, you know, if if, if God's anywhere, then that must also be here with me in my office talking with you. Yeah. Right. That impacts my life in in um, in crazy ways. So the the more that I am accustomed to the reality of God, and then the more that I am I am accustomed to knowing that reality through Jesus Christ, right? Because there's no one, there's no other path to God. But I know the heart of that God through Jesus Christ. I'm I'm reading the Gospels. I'm actually taking seriously what Jesus says in there, right? Mm-hmm. That is going to impact my life in ways that I'm not always going to be conscious of and are going to affect the people around me so then the the other thing is you know and this gets trite, and we use this word a lot, but as we talk about the community of a church, that's really important because that work and that impact can't can't leaven the dough if you're not paying attention to your community. Hmm. And that and the health of your community the interaction of your community so um so pastors have to do this really hard work of you know critical thinking i don't think there's any pastor who who shouldn't be a theologian and by that i mean taking seriously how the reality of god impacts the way they see reality around them yeah but then a pastor also has to also has to be, like, really, really good at, at understanding people intuitively, of connecting, connecting, you know, their health to the community's health, of seeing how these things connect together, of being mature enough to understand that, you know, conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, you can't have community without it. Yeah. Right? So I think all of these things go together. It's so so formation is the life of the church, right? And part of the problem is we tend to always want to create a program that does it, but it is the heart of the church. Mm. It involves programs, but it but it is what the church is.
0: Can I at least say practically that this will require strong leadership?
1: Yeah, I that, think so. That
0: you have to have as a pastor, men and women who are committed to the right things and to right. formation. You don't have to tell everybody that that's what's happening, but, but you do have yes. to have a group of people who you too are being explicit with yes. and who you are investing in in pretty – who get the other 95%, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you cut out of yep. the sermon exactly. in some sense. Exactly. And, and when you have that core, then this is going to be possible, that's it. That's interesting, Dan. That's interesting, and it's true and good in the ways that it rejects my formulaic, programmatic thinking. But yeah. I also hate it for that reason. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's so much. You know, we know how to do a program.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, if, I'm if a Sunday school to help these people. Yeah. Yep. That's really interesting, Dan. Really interesting. Okay, I'm going to make you wrap up now. <laughs> we could talk forever on this, and I would. Be I feel glad like we're to. just starting. we're
1: just getting started.
0: Oh, no, me too, man. <laughs> I was reading Walter Brueggemann this week, yeah, uh, and because we're preaching through a lot of the Old Testament right now, Yeah. I, you right. know, if you're going to preach the Old Testament by Walter Brueggemann, so oh, I'm my reading, gosh. and he's talking about the critical issues, right? He's talking yeah. about the critical issues with the passage. He's talking about what the what the scholars say about the passage, mm-hmm. and and basically, the scholars want to dismantle the passage in some sense, <laughs> yeah. And then he says, but. The writers of this passage said what they said where they said it for a reason, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and then he dealt with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's kind of the approach. This this became more about the Bible than I expected it to. But I think yeah, isn't that
1: funny? Have have.
0: well, that's formation though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you need to start with something, right? And um, yeah, go deeper in your faith. I think one of the one of the first things to do is figure out what's the Bible and what's Jesus Christ and how are they different. But yeah, anyway.
0: So, if you had to tell pastors, uh, this is a softball. I'm teeing this up for you right now. <laughs> if you had to tell pastors to go track down an essay and oh, read man. it, and, and an essay maybe yeah. that would help them as they think through these issues. Yeah, what might that
1: be? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge your listeners though. You you need to read this. Yes. Twice and, yes. and maybe more than that. But what you need to read is Karl Barth's "The Strange New World Within the Bible," which is an essay I think in a in a collection called "The Word of God and the Word of Man." And I'll give you the abridged version so you can kind of you know have a study guide as as you read it. Please, a little bit. one of our former but,
0: guests equated reading Karl Barth to chewing glass. So please give us the abridged <laughs> version.
1: <so bad. laughs> read bart for the ideas not for the pros. not for the prose. that's for sure yeah, oh God. my goodness uh, who else can write a write a sentence that goes on for pages <laughs> um no so what what he does and this is this is early bart so he hasn't quite figured out where he's all going yet but but he's he's uh he's just recently because he was a part of this whole historical critical stuff going on in in europe and and was was sold in on it, but then he 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 began to see it just failed, and so he was thinking this through. And and actually, what he discovered was the Bible. <laughs> like, hey, I'm actually reading this thing, and so so he in this in this essay he he asks some questions, and and they all sort of revolve around what is the Bible, right? And, and we we could give it some answers. He says, you know, we could say, all right, well, it's morality right it's morality and and then he says but wait a minute um abraham's told to kill isaac there's other things jacob is a a a liar and a thief Mm. this is not great morality right okay well maybe it's history and and then what what bart does is kind of complicated but he says well as as history that fits with our current understanding of what history is it's not very good like it it seems like it's not trying to be that and and then he does this thing where he questions the nature of history more broadly which is like can you ever get back to the original event that history is speaking about Hmm. stuff and then he says well maybe it's a handbook on religion like this is how you should do religion and interestingly enough he's like no it's it's not that either and and so what he ends up saying in the end is what there is in Scripture, in the Bible, is a whole strange new world. And what he means by that is this is something in the Bible which defies all the categories that we bring to it ahead of time. So it's authoritative, not because we came up with a theory of it's authoritative. It's authoritative because it presses its authority upon yeah. us, right? And the one thing... Um, Where where we say, you know, it's infallible, and here's what that means, or it's inerrant, and here's what that means. It's us coming up with a theory of authority and saying the Bible fits it. What Bart is saying is the Bible bears its own authority, and it presses it in on us. We couldn't make the Bible authoritative, right? Right. Uh, That takes away its authority. It's authoritative because it is authoritative. And, and he eventually goes on even even further from that to, to say other things later on but this is just perfect because it opens up this whole this whole idea of of rather than than um, trying to find the, the the right way to read scripture we're opening ourselves up to being read by scripture yes yes.
0: Well, Dan, thank you for hanging out. Thank you for dropping a, you know, nuclear bomb into our normal conversations <laughs> about, you know, how to assimilate people into our church. This is yeah. fun for me. Very fun. Yeah, me too. And if yeah. I don't get hate mail, I'll have you back on.
1: <laughs> All right. Sounds good.
3: All right, man. Thank you. Johnny, so good to hear you having a conversation. Actually, it was two thirty 30-somethings, right? Is is he even 30 yet? Oh, ooh, man. I don't, I don't think he is 30. He's, I think he's 20, 28 or 29. Yeah, but he's got like 50 years of smarts inside of him. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't matter how old Dan is. His mind is, is ancient. Yeah. So great to hear you guys. I got, for a while there, I got tired of hearing myself. But but Dan <laughs> Dan was talking about, he was talking about, you know, the reality of the presence of God. Yeah. It messes with his mind and changes him just sitting in his office Right. himself with the word, let alone being with the body, being with other believers and interacting and how formation, you guys said formation isn't, it's not a program. It's not done on a Wednesday night or right, right, right. done in a small group, but formation formation is done in community, in the living out of kingdom life between yeah, absolutely. people who are Jesus followers.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, I felt like I kept on pressing Dan for very practical ideas, because yes, yes. that's where our podcast tends to land a lot of times. It's like, okay, brass tax now, what do you do? And he was so resistant. Now Dan's not a practical thinker anyway. He and I joke about this. He's not concrete at all, um, but especially on this issue, the answer is not concrete. If it was, we'd be we wouldn't even have the problem because we've had Sunday school for decades and we've had wednesday night programming for decades and you go through your memorized little book and learn all the doctrines of the bible blah 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 it's that's not not formation it doesn't it doesn't stick in a vacuum like that we're not trying to make intelligent christians we're not trying to make christians who know a lot about the bible and doctrines etc we're trying to form people to be followers of Jesus Christ. And that is something that's lived out. The call of the gospel is not a a decision to be made. It's a lifestyle to adopt. And that's, yeah, I, I think that's, it doesn't sound practical, and that's okay. You know, it doesn't all have to fit into a neat, tidy
3: box to be what God wants. So, Johnny, my new associate pastor, whose name, ironically, is John, (laughs) <laughs> but he goes by John, not Johnny. He is similar like that. He is very he is very theologically spiritually oriented. Yeah. And I'm always trying to bring him down to the blue collar worker stuff. But right. but it's the same way too. Some of this stuff, it's like in the heavenlies, right? You're you're living mm-hmm. you're living and thinking because you've got and he's got so many theological credits, you know, to his name and so much yeah. time. Uh, learning and growing, but but he and I he and I were just recently talking, and, and I was telling you about uh, about a series on service, right? Yeah. And uh. you know you could do spiritual gifts, or you know you could do the shape thing, or whatever. And he said, you know, boy, I don't I don't want it to be just getting our people to do stuff. And as we talked about that, you know the the theo, the theological truth of Jesus saying, "I have not come to be served, but to serve." Yeah. Give my life a ransom for many. Then you go to Luke 9, where Jesus says, Hey, if you're not willing to give, you know, your whole life up, you yeah. can't be my disciple. Okay, with now with that, let's talk about what service is. Right? Yeah. Let's talk about the opportunities we have to get involved fueled by the power of the Spirit and the love of Christ. We yeah. engage as the body of Christ in kingdom work, kingdom relationships, kingdom lifestyle, kingdom living, kingdom learning. That's now that's something different than yeah. just getting somebody to do something
0: so to open a door on sunday
3: (laughs) right and hand out a bulletin so he did a switcheroo on me actually i was trying to give him a more theological thing and he took it very practically and said but hey isn't this because that's funny and i said we could do another series it could be on grace and you know we live sometimes we're saved by grace but we live by the law let's talk about being Mm -hmm. saved by grace and living by grace he goes oh man he goes i am way more attracted to that why because it's it's Ephesians what two or three? It's in the heavenlies. Right? Yes, it's, right, right. And and he's so it's
0: ideas, ideas. Yeah. Yeah,
3: and he and he's so but it, but that's kind of where he lives. And he's like he's like a Yoda of the, theological Yoda. <laughs> you wanna know something about scripture or theology he's got it. or the spirit filled life, you know, you could just sit and talk with him. You don't have to talk about anything practical. But you're so inspired to just walk with Jesus. I think someday Pastor John is going to be walking with God, and then he was not because God took him. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, so hey, uh, again, Dan encouraged us as pastors to do the work of of going from just a kind of like a John three sixteen Jesus loves me, this I know type of a approach to the presence of God, or God is you know with us to, hey, what is that? But what does that really mean? And, and he, right. you know, so he's got the the horsepower with his brain to maybe it does kind of drive him half nuts just trying to think about it and reconcile it, right? Probably does. Probably does. Dan,
0: we appreciate you and your time, and we appreciate all of our listeners. I hope that this episode was helpful. I think there were parts of it that even as I recorded, I thought, you know, We're getting into theology, which is not what we do on this podcast, and there's room for disagreement uh, on some of the statements that were made, but I hope that it pressed you into places where you had to think deeper, and that's the goal. If you think deeper and come out the same, at least you thought deeper. If you think deeper and come out a different way, that's cool too. So I'm glad you stuck around to the bitter end with us, and we will see you next week on the 200 Churches podcast.
2: We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com, and to access every one of our hundreds of past episodes, go to 200churches.com slash podcast. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with yet another brand new awesome episode recorded and edited specifically for small church pastors just like you. So until next week, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church.
1: It is itself a tiny mic. I'll have to show it to you sometime. Like the uh, makers of these earbuds were being ironic, so they made it in the shape of like a handheld microphone.
0: That is super
1: weird. It feels super strange. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll start and yeah, well I I hope that I can lead us into this and we'll fumble through. Yeah, that sounds I, good.
3: Know, we can follow.
0: We'll talk formation, we'll talk. We'll just talk like we always talk and then yeah. other people will think it's interesting probably. <laughs> we always think it's interesting. So I'll just I'll I'll um, yeah I'll just ask you some questions about who you are. You've heard the podcast, you know how it goes. Okay. Yeah.